Hello and welcome to Mothers Matter, the podcast which takes a good look at why mothers matter so much to their children, why mothers matter in society and what matters to mothers themselves. Today I'm talking to Philippa Nicholson about homeschooling. Well, the actual term in the UK is home education, but um, in the US they call it homeschooling. So we use it fairly interchangeably because um, homeschooling, home education is much bigger in the States. Uh, It is a growing area in the UK. Apparently there's been a 40% increase in home educated children um, in the two years from 2014 to 2016. It was 34,000 being home educated in 2014 and 48,000 in 2016. Um, The government said that it's over 0.5% of the relevant age group and it's increasing by over 20% a year. Um, But actually that's probably underestimated because Philippa said that that there's no benefit to the voluntary registration and over half the people she knows who are home educating haven't registered with the local authority. So it could, as she hasn't registered either, so it could well be more than that. Anyway, I thought it was really interesting to find out more about the life of someone who is educating their children at home. And I hope you enjoy this podcast. Philippa, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today for our podcast. I'm really interested on the uh, in the topic of homeschooling. Um, partly, uh, well, I guess the the ship has sailed really from our point of view that my children are in school and I find it hard to to take them out. But um, so actually, in some ways, it'd be quite tricky because I can hear all about the benefits of homeschooling, and <laughs> I'm not going to do anything about it. <laughs> but uh, yes, I was really keen to talk to you as someone who is um, homeschooling. And I've seen through your Instagram profile, there's a load of home educators. Is that what you're called out there? There's yeah. a whole sort of um, for people in mainstream school. There's a whole subsector of uh, people who are schooling at home. So um, first of all, can you so can you tell me a bit what do you define as homeschooling? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there are so many people <laughs> across the board. You've got you've got kind of like people who have almost like got school in the home as a timetable, box curriculum all set out for them. A bit, I suppose, like the flying school stuff in Australia. Flying school? Just, Hang on. What? You know, in, in Australia, you've got the um, in, in distant farms where kids can't get to school, you've basically got classroom from home. So it's all kind of done at a distance. So you've got things at that end where it's school in the home. And then you've got right to the other end where you've got unschoolers, where it's more um, child led. Um, yeah, it's, it's just very un, unstructured. So you're much more of the hippie mentality, perhaps. Um, so it's it, difficult to define home education because there's so many different ways of doing it and we've got the freedom in Britain to homeschool in whatever way you fancy really as long as education is going on the format it takes is um is open to interpretation so so does does the government have a way of measuring outcomes in homeschooling no not at all and that that is a that's a cause of um, concern in some areas because there's no registration you can register and in some cases you do have to register for instance if you put your child into a state school you do have to register when you're taking them out with the local authority 
um, and you can register if you want to, but there's no set way of um, enforcement. There's no definition of what an education is. It's very open to interpretation, legally enshrined in law at the moment. So um, that, that causes a lot of question marks for people who are new to the whole concept because it's like, what do you mean? There's no set hours, there's no set days, there's no set exams. So um, from my point of view, that's wonderful because I can, I can set up a home, uh, home education environment that is perfect for my child and our family's needs and capacity, as it were. Um, but um, for, for the local authorities, it causes a bit of a headache. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so tell me about your setup. How many children do you have? How many are you homeschooling at the moment? I have four children. Um, my oldest daughter is 12, so she'd be heading into second year of secondary school in September. Um, I have a 10-year-old who'll be going into year six in September. Um, a seven-year-old who I think I think he'd be going in, I think he's year two at the moment. And then a four-year-old who's just turning five at the beginning of September, so she wouldn't have to officially start until September so in theory I'm doing three out of four at the moment right and you're you're um homeschooling all of them at the moment yeah yeah, yeah. and and um how did you decide to do that then did it was it something you always thought you would do yeah for me personally I always planned to home educate because I was home educated myself all the way through um from I suppose five four five three to eighteen so I've never been in a classroom um environment in that sense until I hit 18 and I did other courses um and so I, I it was such a positive experience that I just I just always knew that's what I wanted for my kids there aren't that many second generation home educators around in Britain <laughs> when I was homeschooled in like the, the late 80s early 90s it was um I mean we're, we're it's not normal to see home educators anyway, even now, although it's on the rise. But back then it was even less normal. So um, so is that why there aren't so many second generation? It's not that people have been put off. Yeah. <laughs> it's because exactly. they don't exist. No, I don't think so. Um, but in America, you get lots of second generation homeschoolers of my age and older. Um, just over here, it wasn't as well known. So mm. my generation of kids weren't, weren't really being home educated at all. So, so did that, because um, I understand there's quite good networks now for home educators and people being educated at home, um, which we'll talk about in a minute. But when you were being home educated, how did that work then? Because if there weren't very many around. Obviously, the internet wasn't even around then either. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You know, I remember getting a PC when I was about 12 or 13 and, and the internet was in infancy then, wasn't it? So, um, so yeah, so it was more, um, I think from memory, a lot of our connections happened through Education Otherwise, which was the main um, kind of, I think it might be a charity actually. Um, so you could be a member of that and then there would be like a members list so you could see who was around in your location. But that was only for people who were signed up and members. So there were other people as well. So that's how we made connections. We had um we had friends who who knew us and ended up home educating their kids. So a few years younger than me. So that was another another way of connecting. Um, so I think my parents were extremely brave <laughs> to be honest, because it's nothing like it is now. Whereas now there's just almost too much to do. You could spend all day, every day, out with um, other groups and um, doing educational fun things. But, you know, you need to actually spend some time at home to get the schoolwork done, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Back then, there was there was very little. You kind of had to, you know, just 
I don't know, connect with people as and when you found them. And how did you find it yourself as someone being um, educated at home when it was so unusual? Well, my family was a bit unusual anyway because um, we ended up having, um, well, I've got eight siblings, so seven boys, two girls. It was, we we weren't the average family for a start. <laughs> so I'm the eldest. Oh, um, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, great parents. Um, I suppose the fact that I'd never known anything different. So I just had always known, you know, a flexible schedule. And we did, we were fairly, you know, when I was talking about the whole scale of home education and what forms it took, we were very much not quite unschoolers, but very freestyle. So we'd, you know, we learned to read and write and we, we did some you know, workbooks and did a lot of reading. Our house was surrounded by books and so forth. So it was just, it was just a very organic process. And we were so interested in learning about things. I I don't, I don't really, I don't have recollections of feeling different, massively different from, from, you know, the norm as it were. And did you get involved with educating your younger siblings then? Yeah. Um, I, I, I certainly remember it. My mum might have a different view of how much I actually was (laughs) proactive, but I felt like I was proactive. So, yeah, um, there's an 18-year age gap between me and my younger sibling. So the younger set, as it were, um, who are now all in their their late teens and early 20s, I remember kind of sitting down and doing phonics with and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So um, I left home when when the youngest was four and a half, so Mm. it was still very much going on. Yes. And when did you, uh, what did you do after, when you left home? Well, I I left home at 21, actually. I worked part-time in my late teens and early 20s, and then I left home to get married, basically. And um, I had my first child when I was 22. So I went straight from, you know, <laughs> babysitting and up to my neck in kind of small children straight into my own children. And that transition, I, I really struggled with actually because it took me quite a few years to um, get used to the idea that my, my own children weren't my siblings. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, did, so it did, took me a while to get that balance of, no, I'm the mum here. <laughs> So you could finally really tell them what to do without having them coming back at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure I like that. I like passing the buck, to be honest. When I'm at home. <laughs> the buck stops with you as a mother, doesn't it? So it's kind of a little bit more, yeah. from my point of view, it was an interesting um, time to navigate. But yeah. And did you find being a young mother was a whole different ball game as well? I mean, you were possibly used to being a bit different from homeschooling, but then yeah. you were a, a homeschool person with a family when you were quite young. Yeah, um, I, I suppose I hadn't I hadn't gone out and had my own kind of fixed career, so I didn't have that kind of um, to I didn't have to get used to being at home with children <laughs> in the same way that I would have had to have done if I'd been out going to work every day full time um, with with a set career, as it were. So I didn't have that hurdle, um, but yeah, it was it, I. I So I was used to being around small children, but I think as a mum, you've got the whole emotional side of things as well. And that took me on, that took me by surprise. So the idea of, you know, doing nappies and doing babysitting and looking after kids, I was used to, but the transition to being the mum and like I say, the buck stops with you type of thing, that was, that was hard to get used to. I wasn't expecting that in quite so much intensity. Mm. Um, But, but like, like I said about homeschooling, my being homeschooled myself, I was kind of, used to having children around so that 
yeah, it was it's difficult to draw the line between where being used to kids stops and being the mum starts, I suppose. You, you never developed the opportunity to be selfish. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure I was, but <laughs> I think I actually discovered how selfish I was when, when I became a mum and I wasn't getting a full night's sleep and so forth. But mm. one thing I did find, and um, I, I, I know you've spoken to this uh, with Emily, um, with Mummy Links, I found the loneliness to be a real surprise. Mm. You know, although I, I was in the Midlands um, in my teens and then I moved down to Essex when I got married and started and we started a family and um yeah I think the loneliness took me by surprise just that kind of and that's nothing to do with home education that was just you know the small years with children um trying to make connections in the local community and and just just the intensity of being with children all day every day that was that was the biggest thing but then mothers everywhere have that problem whether you're a young mother or not yes I wonder if it's harder if you're young when people are at um your age group might be at university or up in London uh, working or something like that uh, yeah there are very few young mothers around that's for sure yeah um so it, it's taken time to get build that community that village of of other mums to call on and have you met um because usually people meet start meeting mothers through preschool and school and so on mm. but have you met other mothers through home education oh yeah because there's so many of us around now um yeah I've got and I, I do tend to go out and make make connections and friendships from from just I tend to be fairly proactive I would say um so yeah there's no there's no shortage of of people to get to know and um you know, I'd invite them around for pizza and then the kids get to play and we get to do our mum chat type thing and kind of refill that cup that's been draining all week. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, there's, there's no shortage now, but that interim period before, you know, with, with babies, before they got into school, school age and I was making those connections with the home education community, definitely there was, a, there was, a, it was, it was sparse on the ground. So I'd go to like the, the local, um, children's centre and try and make connections but I think everyone's so in the same same boat with that it's difficult to actually reach out and make a friendship apart from you know just a small talk mm, well, so that's where the mummy link stuff is so great because you can do that you know um without making too much of a commitment can't you yes, <laughs> Stop with well also you can, you can never finish a conversation because uh, if you have two oh, people yeah. with two babies or toddlers they you know something happens and you'd start a conversation and you can't finish it oh totally yeah it's really frustrating but you kind of as you go on being a mum you kind of learn to factor that in don't you not get quite so frustrated with that but yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, well let's um talk a bit more about um homeschooling how do you make it work how do you structure your time and your day with the children um how do I structure my day um it's difficult because the structuring depends so much on the mother's discipline herself so I'm not a terribly organized <laughs> person in my estimation so um so yeah so we I try and have a structures and there are certain kind of like anchor points through the day that kind of help me get back on track if everything's going to pot which it fairly often does to be honest you know <laughs> children all together most of the time it kind of yeah chaos can happen very very quickly indeed so um we've got like a set morning routine so like trying to get them to make their bed do their teeth and start taking on responsibility for that I mean I am very aware I don't have the time limit imposed on me of getting them out for the school run so I am very grateful for that because <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how mums manage that especially when they've got 
children. But um, so, yeah, so we try and have that finished up by maybe about nine o'clock. And then the idea is to then spend the morning doing um, work-related stuff. So we'll do a set time together and then uh, I'll work one-on-one with different children. My son, um, one of my sons has dyslexia, so that he's requiring a lot more help um so I'll sit with him and I'll read him his maths and he'll do his maths and that way rather than having the hurdler trying to read the questions himself and um and uh, yeah so it, it depends on the child as well my seven-year-old he can work completely independently but he just goes off into a daydream so it's kind of like trying to keep him on track a bit like when you're trying to get your child to do their homework I suppose except I'm doing it all morning <laughs> 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 so, so that's the general theory so it's the school worky stuff in the morning it fairly it seems to be fairly laid back so I'm not I don't have like set lesson times and a timetable I just have a rough idea I'll do a, a big plan at the beginning of the term of roughly what I want to accomplish with each child and then we're just kind of trying to tick off the boxes and if I get it all done then I'm feeling really great this <laughs> term work got about half done so I don't know whether we're going to get a summer holiday or not <laughs> <laughs> do a bit of work every day <laughs> um, so that, that and then we'll have lunch and then um I kind of see it as the kids learning food tech if they do a bit of preparation for lunch so you know they're learning my older kids are learning to do a meal I'm counting that as home education <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll I'll try and have a quiet time after lunch and that that helps us all just have a bit of space from each other and um everyone will go to their rooms and read a book or an audio book if they're not reading yet or play quietly. That's the theory anyway. It doesn't always look like that at all, but you know, that's, that's the idea. And then the afternoons are more free to go out and do stuff. But then other days, you know, we do music with my mother-in-law who is a music teacher and a partner is also a music teacher. So that will, that, that day looks completely different. We'll do our morning routine and we'll be getting in the car and going to music with them all day so it is very flexible and are you mirroring a curriculum a school curriculum I'm not mirroring the national curriculum that's not a requirement anywhere um every home educator seems to have a different approach different philosophy it seems um mine is much more um most people haven't heard of her but there was a Victorian um, educational um, philosopher, as it were, called Charlotte Mason. And it was very much in the idea of you read, use curriculum with like loads of really, uh, she used, uses the term living books. So books that really engage the children and it was told through one, one voice rather than more of a textbook style. And so we'll read those through. So I've got a system of books that we're reading about like there'll be one for history or science or whatever the subject is. And then the theory is you get the child to tell you back what they've learned or they'll do a written little piece about what they've learned. So we're kind of using that philosophy to do it. And and there are kind of curriculums that go along those lines. So in that sense, yes, I am. Um, but it changes. every. I think every home educator, when they start, whether they're pulling their kids out of school halfway through or whether they're starting at the beginning, I think in, with all of my friends, you start off on one, one idea and then you kind of start tweaking it depending on what fits your child and what's, what fits your family. And there's so many different options of curriculums out there. It's, the temptation is to go and try everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, overwhelm can be a bit too much sometimes. So it's just kind of, yeah, finding your groove. And I think most most home educators, that takes a couple of years, I think, just to find something that really suits them all. And um, 
helps our children learn in the best way. So it's uncharted territory for every home, home educator because mm. their family is so unique. And so what fits one isn't necessarily going to fit another. And what were you, well, I should have asked earlier, probably, what are your main reasons for wanting to homeschool rather than, what's it called? What's the opposite of homeschool, school schooling? Traditional, traditional school, <laughs> external schooling. Well, schooling. I have the background, obviously, from being home educated myself, and I, as I said, I, I love that experience. So I wanted that for the kids as much as possible. My husband was public school educated, and so he's got the you know the complete opposite of experience. Um, and definitely, when we got together, it was both of us wanted to home educate, and I think. Um, it was the flexibility, it's the way, it's a lifestyle, it's very organic. Um, we could be structured if we wanted to be, but if it ended up not being, if that not ended up not suiting us, we could change. Um, um, we're Christians as well, so that that does have a, a big impact just in the sense of um, just living life. So we can kind of, in a, in a I, again, I keep saying the word organic, just, just a kind of holistic way of just living life together and passing on our morality ideas and all those kind of things that makes that was definitely one of the key reasons um and just I, I didn't I didn't like the idea of the kids all just in all their school hours only being with kids of their own age um I just I just thought well life isn't like that when you get to the other side of university so if, if there's an option not to have to follow that route then why not and um so yeah it was, it was multiple reasons but it was almost for me looking at having children starting a family I needed more reasons to convince me to send them to school than than to home educate but I'm aware that's not the case for everyone who's home educating because I'm I'm um I'd obviously had a personal experience of home education lots of people are taking the plunge mm. um to not send their children to school and that's the basis they know so you know mine mine isn't isn't how everyone would approach it but yeah and have your children ever asked to go to main i guess you call it mainstream school yeah mainstream school um well <laughs> the infant school or primary school actually in, in now is is literally four doors up from our house so <laughs> <laughs> i remember when i first started homeschooling officially um we would walk past the school at playtime to go up to the high street to go and do our shopping and our errands and go to the library and so forth. And my four and a half year old, five year old daughter was like, Mummy, I want to go to school because we always walk past this playtime and it's so exciting. So we did go through a phase of that. But again, she'd never known anything different. I, I hadn't sent her to nursery. So she hadn't, she hadn't kind of got used to a set of friends in that environment and, and then have to not get used to it. So she, it was more because she could hear lots of children playing and they were having a great time, so she wanted to join in. Um, my youngest daughter, she is now four and a half and she is, um, she's unlike any child I've had before. She's <laughs> keeps me on my toes and she comes up with all these questions and I'm like, oh my goodness, how do I answer that? But um, yeah, so she's a bright spark and um, she's convinced she is going to school because she's seen, you know, Topsy and Tim on CBeebies and stuff. She loves CBeebies, so all of those kind of programs. But, but in her mind, it's an imaginary school. So, you know, we were walking in the Lake District a few uh, weeks ago, and um, and she's walking next to me up a, up a kind of small mountain thing, and um, <laughs> and she goes, "Well, my teacher takes me on walks." <laughs> do that I was like oh really your teacher sounds great so she's got in her mind this whole imaginary school going on but um she'll she'll be fine she's you know she's she's 
she mucks in along with the other kids with her workbooks now because she's so desperate to start. So, um, yeah, it, it's... Uh, so do they do... Um, friends, so do, do they do groups, um, I was going to say, outside of school, outside of the home? I mean, you well, do you have a good church where they know lots of people there? Yeah, in fact, well, we're part of a very small church, but most of the people there have either homeschooled at one point or are homeschooling. So that's quite nice. Um, but outside of that, yeah, there are so many groups. In our town, we've got, um, there weren't that many homeschoolers around when I started. But as of recently, there's at least two other families with children in the same kind of school year type age bracket as my younger two. Um, so we'll often, you know, spur of the moment, go and meet up at a park or they'll come around here and we'll do a little bit of, we'll read some poetry and have a piece of cake or something, you know, so we feel like we've ticked the education box while they're socialising. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then outside of that, within 20 minutes, half an hour, there are loads of home educators. We've, we've going, we go into London, so the... Um, uh, the classical spectacular was on at the Royal Albert Hall recently, and that's opened home educators. So I took a group of kids for that, um, and so the kids they they mix with so many kids, um, not all necessarily exactly the same age, but within that kind of primary school or early secondary school group. So yeah, they they do lots of things outside the home. My daughter's involved in a um, a orchestra that runs on a Saturday morning, so she goes off and does that, and so. Yeah, there's almost too much to do, both in the homeschool community and outside, you know, normal mainstream school activities. So, yeah. yeah, I think I'm um, talking sort of entirely selfishly from the mother's point of view. When do you get time to do all the bits and pieces of, uh, you know, laundry, cooking, all of that? Um, I think um, your guest, your big ocean guest summed it up really nicely. You know, the mm. idea of just doing a little bit here and there and there and you, you suddenly like it's almost like a superpower you know? <laughs> so I'm a load of washing on a day and then I feel like I've done it and I'll try and try not to let it stack up too much and um yeah it, it, there is no free time really mm -hmm. um to be honest so I do have to work that in so sometimes I'll I'll make a coffee date while my after dropping my daughter off at the orchestra stuff and we'll go and have coffee together and and normally to be honest we are talking about homeschool and you know, we've got the exams, GCSE type things we've got to start planning for now as well. So that is taking up a lot of our, our free time conversation. <laughs> but, but yeah, you have to kind of work it in. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then of course I've stopped, I've taken your job with the um, newsletter for Mothers at Home Matter. So very ably, um, very yeah, ably done. Excuse <laughs> <laughs> to feel clever. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's that's been another challenge fitting all of that in, and it's kind of like. Instead of sitting down in an evening, I'll just say to my husband, look, I've got to get on with work, so I'll, I'll work in an evening. I try to get up early in the morning to do it before they're up, but to be honest, I, let, I love my sleep too much. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'm not quite sure how we fit it in, but then, you know, I, in some ways I look at home education as, as a full-time job, and if I view it in those kind of terms, although I'm with the kids all the time, um, so I'm, I'm a full-time mother as well, as it were. Um, it's it's only what work full-time working mothers have to deal with. They still have to factor in working, you know, self-care time and um, and getting the dishes done and the laundry done and everything else. So you know, it's not that dissimilar. It's just intense with children. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's no break. There's no break from the children. There's very little break, but you know, I'm grateful for the times when I do, and I've just got used to, you know. Yeah, kids are only going to be small for so long and 
it's, it's a finite amount of time that I'm going to be doing this. So I'm just trying to make the most of it. Yes. Um, I think one of the benefits seems to be that you can go on holiday in term time. If you, what's called. Oh my goodness, do you yes. do that? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that is one of the big benefits. And, um, and playgrounds outside of the school holidays as well. Oh, we yeah. tend to not go to playgrounds during the school holidays because we're used to them being half empty. <laughs> 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 You'll get some home educators working through the school holidays just because it's so crowded everywhere. And then schools go back and they go out and they've got the playgrounds back to themselves and, and all the museums and so forth. So, um, so yeah, there's this, there is a tremendous amount of flexibility. I'm grateful for that. So Yes, yes. And um, is uh, homeschooling increasing in the UK then? Apparently so. Now, there's no way to measure it because there's no official number. Um, but yes, it is. And um, some of that is because of dissatisfaction with the school system, I think. And then there's also the factor of it becoming more well, well known as an option. Um, there's, there's the, the problems with um, school places as well. So I think that's pushed a lot of parents to do mm. home education for, a lot, for, you know, a term or a year or something. And that works well if you've got a parent who's on board and really wants to do it and wants to give their child an education it doesn't work so well when um the parent isn't sold on the idea to start with and so they're just literally there have been cases where people are just literally waiting around playing video games waiting for a school place under the guise of home education so it's difficult to judge how many there are but it does appear to be growing um hugely mm. um so, and is there yeah. any way of measuring how well people do when they're home educated as opposed to in the mainstream schools there isn't in england um i think the closest you can get to that is um stats from the united states which seem to show that they perform better academically so i suppose it's a generalized view isn't it i don't know how well that conforms to britain where you've got a lot more flexibility of approach um, to education but um they do seem to perform better academically i suppose because of the one-to-one they're getting with their parents or smaller groups be it online tuition or with their parents or a face-to-face tutor and the other advantage that, that the stats in the states at least seem to show is that um home educated children are just they they integrate better and they've got a lot more uh, self-motivation because I suppose you have to don't you if you're working on your own most of the time so or in small groups so um so that it does seem to be that there are more benefits overall where, um, where do you think the um integrating better comes from because I think one one of the challenges my daughter's um 13 and uh, in mainstream school in a massive she's in a massive school and one of the major challenges she's had in the class she's in she's got a group of naughty boys of which my son is one in year five and will be hitting that school <laughs> oh, my soon. My children would be just the same if they were in that environment, I'm sure. <laughs> but her, her great challenge, what's really interesting is that, first of all, she's in mainstream school. She won't do as well as she would in a private school. She won't do probably as well as she would academically if I was home educating her. But one thing that I think is really interesting is having to cope. She's learning to cope with these very annoying boys who are quite nice but you know don't really want to be there I want to chat much like my son so you know uh, I'm humble on that topic um <laughs> but uh so I would say that she's getting a really good start in learning to manage people she doesn't like being with um and and her grades as I said her grades will be lower but in some ways sort of holistically 
hopefully her, her, probably her tolerance will be lower by the time she's finished as well she'll be fed up with them but um yeah. why do you think it is that the stats are coming out that homeschooled children in the states are better able to integrate um I I don't know off the top of my head, but I would imagine from a personal point of view that they've been integrated with people in, of all ages. Mm-hmm. So they haven't had to just be with their peer group the whole time. And obviously, if you're with your peer group, you, you have got to cope with the classroom pressures, haven't you, of noisy children and stuff. So I'm sure that's a skill in itself. But it's... Um, it's not necessarily the life you lead once you finish university, is it? It's kind of, um, we're mixed with all kinds of age groups and stuff. So they, most home educated children I meet do tend to be able to talk to an adult just as easily as a young, a child who's younger than them and their peer group. They're not so peer dependent, I would say. And I think later on in life that gives them a, um, a different kind of resilience from what you would have to learn if you were in a classroom. I would, I, I would put it on that from my mm-hmm. own experience, but I, I haven't, I don't know if they've actually put a set reason on why that is. Mm. Do you think, uh, saying that, I wonder whether, um, do you think they avoid peer pressure a bit more when, when they're home educated? Cause you're, you know, it's just a nightmare. 13, 14, 15 year olds are, it's a jungle out there uh, to be existing in. And if you're homeschooled, you're, you can slightly pick a bit more easily who people are hanging out with. You can, I completely take my hat off to parents with kids in mainstream school of teens because that is, that is a really big thing, especially with social media now coming in at all hours. They haven't just got it in the classroom, have they? Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's certainly watered down. And I think, yeah, as a parent, if you can see that things are getting a bit too intense or a bit too um, pressured in some ways, you can back off. Um, in a way that you just can't in a classroom, can you? You, you, Your child's there and you've got to find the best survival tactics, I suppose, to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that is definitely definitely another benefit of home education, especially if you've got a a quieter child Mm -hmm. who just wants to sit down and learn. And, in fact, my my brothers learned when they – so some of them were homeschooled until they were um, about 16 and then they went to tertiary college and – because I think they've been self-motivated and they were choosing classes that they wanted to do, like in engineering or whatever, I can't remember what they did. But um, they went into a classroom environment where there were loads of other 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds who were there because they had to be there because they had to do yet another course, as it were. And that was the one that was, that they were happy to go on, as it were. Um, but they, the motivation for learning wasn't there for the majority of their classmates. So my... Um, my brothers would be the you know the student who was there because they're desperate to learn and trying to ignore the noise and they got on fine they they adapted quite well to a classroom environment but that was very noticeable you know um between that the home educated student and the, and the children who've been in in a classroom environment their whole mm. school lives so um and, and yeah. how do you manage with um teaching GCSEs um, well, well, how will you? Well, <laughs> so I haven't got there yet. <laughs> and my intention definitely is to home educate until they're 16, so it will involve the GCSE years. Um, there is no requirement for GCSEs in, in the home education um, setup. So I, I have friends who didn't pursue that route and they found other ways um, to start a life as it were without them but um, we will be following the GCSE route and um, my own experience at the moment is what I'm going on so I started GCSEs more like my mum thought of them as brownie badges basically so um, 
I was a late developer with writing, but once the penny dropped, I was able to get on with exams. And um, I took my first O-levels um, when I was 13. I, took, I, didn't, I, I think I just passed one, but, you know, it was good experience having never had an, any kind of exam before. Um, and um, then from then onwards, I just took a subject every six months and we would look at the syllabus. We would work to, work to the test, basically, learning the stuff and then take the exam at the end. And that's how I accumulated mine. So again, there wasn't that pressure of doing, you know, mm. loads of GCSEs at the age of 15, 16, which, which was helpful. Um, Didn't it get very whereas, boring when you were on, whatever, speak personally, physics for six months or biology? For six months? <laughs> well, I skipped physics. Yeah, I didn't do physics either. I chose the subjects that really interested me and I, I worked my way up. I obviously got English and maths, but other than that, it was just picking and choosing, which was quite convenient. Um, uh, no, it wasn't. And I think you have to look at the context a little bit for me. I don't know what it's going to be like for, for my children, but being the oldest of a large family, my study time was a good getaway going upstairs to my room, <laughs> <laughs> sitting in quiet and actually doing studying rather than helping with the younger siblings. And stuff. So that was my position as the eldest of the, ch- of the family. I don't know whether that was the same experience for my younger siblings doing GCSEs. And, um, and there are other routes as well, you know, some... Some people go straight on to like an open university degree. Um, the math entry level is very similar to GCSE or just below, in fact. So for some kids who are really bright in math, um, a couple of my brothers have certainly taken this route. Um, they'll just go straight on to the degree and um, and then work their way through the courses. I don't think it works so well with arts and humanities. I think you need a bit more maturity to deal with those <laughs> subjects. But certainly those, those, you know, the pure sciences that that has been another option um so at the end of you know 1920 they've got a degree already mm. um, and people people aren't interested in the GCSEs by that point so it's kind of like it's, it's very it, it, it's inherently flexible mm. but it is but GCSEs are definitely one of the um downsides mm. so it's flexible in the approach you can take but actually going and finding a private centre week or a, a school that's going to accept a private candidate. That, that's a bit of a challenge for home educators, I must say. But you mean so in, in, a, in terms of in actually country. sitting the exam, you have to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of yeah. course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that, that will be, I think that will probably be my biggest hurdle in the, in the next couple of years, finding a place uh, locally that will do that. For instance, I was um, in the Midlands when I was taking my GCSEs in uh, Leicester at the time. And we had to go right the way down to Cambridge. That was the nearest centre we could find. So, you know, for every single paper, mm-hmm. that was a trek. <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite as dramatic as that now. And, um, and that's where the whole networking um, on Facebook and so forth really comes in handy because you can just put, you know, whatever query you've got. And mm-hmm. mums who are a few years in front of your dads, um, who are a few years in front of you can let you know, oh, well, that's, that centre's a good one and that one mm-hmm. takes that exam board and stuff. So... We're having to do a bit more thought work, I suppose. But the actual the actual teaching of it, though, is there enough materials that your daughter could just teach herself, or do you have to remember enough about your GCSEs and O-levels to be able to teach it? Um, I'm sure if I remembered about... <laughs> that would help. <laughs> I'm just getting to that point in maths where I'm really having to, you know, swat up. <laughs> but you can, you can learn alongside your child, and but also... Um, it's it's a case of you've got all the textbooks you've got the materials and there are lots of tutors there are loads of online courses that you can choose obviously then online courses start to get expensive but if you're doing one or two subjects at a time it's not so bad so um 
you know, GCSEs, I think, are more doable when we get towards the A-levels. That's why I've said they'll definitely do it to 16. We'll wait and see about the A-levels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in, in terms of your relationship with your children, I think one of the things that put me off homeschooling early on was partly not having any time away from them, but um, mm-hmm. <laughs> partly um, uh, just the relationship that I think that I would tussle too much with them, that my son wouldn't want to do any work, although he assures me if he was homeschooled and it was school hours he would love working at that stage um but he mainly doesn't want to do it because he likes his friends too much and he sees um school as he's trained to be a diplomat and just work the room I think rather than actually learn anything but um my daughter I don't think would learn anything from me because she's too sort of strong-willed and wouldn't listen to me so how, how do you manage it with your children well, my children have never known anything different. I think if you start home educating at the very beginning, you've got an advantage on that if you can bear with being with your children that long. <laughs> um, but then you've kind of like survived from naught till five. So, you know, <laughs> and I don't have the extra stress of school and all those kind of extra pressures that that can bring. So I don't have that to navigate with them. Um, I, I, I have seen when people have put their children into school for a few years and then pulled them out that that it takes a period of time to get back to that parent relationship rather than I, I think a lot of new home educators who've had their kids in school tend to think I'm a teacher I've got to do teaching and a parent and I think the more you kind of relax into the parent and more like enabling and guiding your children that seems to work better than kind of viewing yourself as a teacher in fact a lot of home educators I've met are ex-teachers my mother was one of them in fact and my father as well but um their experiences tend to be they have to unlearn what they all their professional kind of um training because that's much more in their experience when they then come into their teaching their kids or enabling their children um um is is a case of they've got to unlearn the classroom management type of thing mentality that they've got towards the teaching and um, yeah, I, I think it's something that if you've got a determination that it's what's best for your child, you can work through. But um, I'm, I'm not saying it would not be a challenge to start with. At least. <laughs> and children learn in different ways. And I think that's where finding your, your groove, as it were, as a home educator, whether you start from the beginning or halfway through, it's... Um, it just takes time to find what works with your children. I've got some very sociable children who live for their next play date with their friends. And I've got other kids who, you know, they, they like their friends, they get on with them really well, but they're very just as happy, you know, reading a book mm. um, at home. So it's kind of what works with one child doesn't necessarily work with another. And it, it just takes time to find that, that, um, that balance, I suppose. Mm. And, but, and how do you manage um, screen time? Yeah, <laughs> I'm laughing because my children are sitting in front of the TV right now as we're speaking. Um, <laughs> and that is, that is what I use a lot if I've got a call to make. <laughs> um, well, outside of watching TV to keep them quiet while I'm, while I'm busy on the computer, um, it, it's something that we're navigating, really. In theory, they're only having like half an hour at the end of the day if they've done everything. So, so it's a carrot on a stick for sure. <laughs> But my kids are still small, so I don't know what it's going to be like when they get into their teens properly. But um, but yeah, some, that's that's my take on it. Though it's less screen time is better. Obviously, they use it for their for their um, Khan Academy or whatever school stuff they need to do. Um, but outside of that, we do try and keep it fairly minimal. Um, yeah, 
you know, it's a good incentive to get stuff done at the end of the day. Are they are <laughs> they um, used to occupying themselves then if you're not actively with them because you're with one of the other ones? Yeah, I mean, like all sibling relationships, sometimes they get on really well and sometimes they don't. <laughs> and, and I notice when they're not and it feels like they don't get on a lot sometimes. <laughs> but I'm just noticing when it's noisy, I don't necessarily stand still and appreciate when they're playing really, really nicely together. Um, so it tends to work that I, it tends to be that I'm working one to one with one child. Another child will be going working independently and then the, the other two left, I'll give them something to do. It could be a jigsaw or, or they could just go and make up a game, you know. Um, one of my daughters, my youngest daughter, she's, we, we had a vet checkup this week. So that was in the morning. And then she spent the rest of the day playing vets and, um, and bringing different soft toys and stuff in. And we had a dental appointment. And so she was checking up the other kids with their dental stuff. And <laughs> so, you know, they, they, I don't think being bored is a bad thing. I think that it encourages creativity. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know. It, it's the ebb and flow of everyday life, I suppose. I'm just peppering in loads of I suppose homework <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they they can occupy themselves well because that's one thing I find that particularly with my son that he will say he'd come up to me over the summer holidays maybe and say oh I'm bored and I'll say you have to understand I'm quite happy if you're bored <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't bother yeah, me exactly. that's not a lever to make me change what's happening no. I'm happy for you to be bored I want you to go and find something to do but He's so used yeah. to being stimulated, you know, the whole time by school yeah, exactly. or, or even at home, you know, when he's at home because I am um, work from home during the day. So I have time with him when he gets home or he has a oh. club or something that um, one thing I find is difficult is for them to, well, for him to occupy himself. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think if you're home educating a single child, I think you do have more challenges than if you've got a sibling group, as it were. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if I if I had just one child I was home educating I would definitely be having I would up the play dates <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I might do a child swap I'll have your child for the day you have my child another day to open this. yeah yeah and and one thing you mentioned before which is a sort of necess necessity is that home educators are almost always stay at home mothers or fathers you uh -huh. know you have to have a parent at home full time uh -huh. So you, you have sort of ever decreasing circles of groups because there's not very many stay at home mothers. And there's mm -hmm. out of that, there's a subset who are who are home educators. Um, mm. Is there much uh, debate within the home education network about the role of stay at home mothers in society and pressure to work outside the home and so on? Yeah, just as much as there is in general stay-at-home mothers, for sure. Um, and I do know that not all homeschool mums and dads are um, work it like we do. I've got a friend who is um, a midwife, as well as having several children she homeschools, and she takes responsibility for all of that. So, you know, there's the people who work part-time as well as home-educating, and they, they kind of work it with their partner for when the partner's around or bring in the wider family to help with childcare or use a childminder you know several of um, my friends will use nurseries or childminders just to either give them some free time to work one-on-one -on -one with the child or just so it's kind of it, it's very creative and and there are there are single parents doing it as well one friend was a tutor with with her daughter um when she was homeschooling her and it was just you know it, it, it comes, comes back to where I'm where I was saying, you know, if you want to homeschool your child so much, if you really think it's going to be a benefit to them, then you're going to make it work. In the same way that full-time mothers, if you think it's going to be a benefit to your, your child to be available for them at home, then, then you're going to 
try and do everything you can to make that work so there are there are lots of parallels I suppose mm, mm. Um, and with that and do you think, because one thing is that you're very um, cheap on the state, aren't you? Because you, you're, not taking, <laughs> you're not taking a school place, you're not taking childcare funding or anything. I know, I, I know, it seems unfair. And then they're trying, they're trying a lot to, um, to, to they're, they're trying, cause, because of the illegal off-rolling that's hit the news and the, um, and, and people supposedly home educating while they're waiting for school places, because that, that's obviously not a good scenario for a child to be learning if they're learning at all in those scenarios. They're trying to tighten down on that, but at the same time, they're tightening down on that. And we're doing them a huge favour. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What's illegal off-rolling? What's off-rolling? Where you take them off the school off register? Off-rolling is where, from what I understand, I may be wrong, but from what I understand it to be, it is where a school has a child which they are... Um, um, going to be moving on because they're causing problems, and they say to their, they say to the parent, "Well, we're going to be expelling this child, but if you want to stay your homeschooling, then it won't be expelled." Um, That's completely illegal. They shouldn't be doing it. And there are people clamping down on that when in areas where they're becoming aware of um, state schools doing that, um, and and it should be dealt with. But um, but yeah, so it's kind of like there are little scenarios going on at the moment in the illegal schools that are kind of giving home educators a bad name in some areas. <laughs> like, no, most of us are really <laughs> doing a good job. Yes, yes. <laughs> we just don't look like your average learning kind of when because we're not sitting down, we're not timetabled and mm. we're not in the books all the time because learning happens in so many different environments for us. So <laughs> we're out of the box <laughs> yes yeah I, can, I mean because you can see where you have a dedicated person who's working really hard at homeschooling like you how what a benefit it is to the children um mm. and it's almost an undisputed benefit really um but if it is too easy and someone just says i'm homeschooling and they aren't and there's no way of measuring them then it's going mm. to be the children who are possibly in a disadvantaged situation already who are then taken out yeah. of school um, and also, yeah. I think you have some situations where you have parents who maybe are, I don't know, closeting or putting their children into a very confined environment, uh, which is not necessarily yeah. good for their worldview and so on. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's a tricky one to, to know how to register and manage it. I think people tend to think it's more tricky than it is, mm. because for all of those scenarios where there's a problem with abuse or they're not, they're, they're hidden children, as it were, and you've got parents with not the best intentions or incapable of education, educating, for instance. Um, there are lots of legal structures already in place to deal with that. So, so for instance, if, it, if, there's, if anyone was to think I wasn't home, home educating my children correctly or properly or there was abuse going on, there are numbers you can ring and the social services would be around to check me within their rights immediately and that's good and that should be, that's well and proper because we should be looking out for each other and making sure that kids aren't hidden um it's just unfortunate that you know the majority of home educators who are doing a great job and they don't necessarily look like me where I've got semi-structure there'll be people who are much more and much more hippie and free learning and it might look like there's no learning going on at all but there's still there's still there is still learning going on but it doesn't fit mm. traditional kind of um, the traditional box. All, all of us in our various shapes and forms are kind of being tarred with the brush of, oh, but there's an abuse situation going on, so therefore we all need to be registered and we all need to have outward restrictions put on, which is unfortunate because 
at the end of the day, it's the parent's job to do what's best for their children. And if too many restrictions are put on, the problem is then the state becomes um, in control of our children's you know, upbringing and so forth. It'd be almost like saying the state has, says we have to send all our children to nursery. In, the, in that kind of same way, you've got to have a certain mm-hmm. um, way of bringing up a, you know, one to five-year-old type of thing. So there are similarities in that, I think, um, but it's, it's the way of the nanny state, I suppose. Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of movement towards um, replacing parents with state-sponsored management isn't there and because they because they're assuming parents aren't going to be at home because they can't afford to be at home because there's no support for parents at home um and and they're just trying to replace that with yes everyone's going to be in nursery everyone's going to be in preschool and so on uh, so it, mm. so it is difficult to to um uh, accept that there are parents who know best for their children and are going to um bring them up in a better system than they might be in the state system yeah indeed just trusting the parents to follow their instincts for their children um, is important, isn't it? But um, yes, yeah, yeah it's interesting, interesting times for both them. Um, you know, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> educated full-time mothers. Yes, <laughs> mothers I know. Well, that, that's it because you mentioned before that you've joined um, Mothers at Home Matter on the committee, yeah. and you're doing the Instagram, aren't you? Uh, social media as well yes I should be doing more I'm just finding that I'm spinning too many plates so when I get the opportunity yes I do the Instagram account um as I said I'm doing um the newsletter following in your footsteps and um and on the committee I've been a member of Mothers at Home Matter for I don't know four or five years I think Mm. but um, how did you how did you hear about it to start with it was on Facebook I noticed one of my um a friend who was also home educated, she was on a Facebook group, and you know how all the recommendations come up on the side, like mothers at home matter. Wow, that sounds good. So I just followed the links and joined then, and then went onto the website and, and joined up properly. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Oh, well, social media really has benefits. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, it's really good what you're doing, and I, you know, I believe that the newsletter does make a difference because there isn't, uh, there's, there's no other publications really talking about the value of parenting. Um, you know, giving as much time as you can to your children. We've seen with all the science stuff that Mothers at Home Matter have put forward, there's, there's solid science to support that, yes. you know, being available for your children is really important. It is important, <laughs> it is important, and it should be um, supported because people like you, you're, um, you know, you, pay, you have your single income family, so you're paying extra tax on your income. You're not taking any money out of schools, so really you're a model that should be encouraged. Uh, but there's nothing to encourage you financially. So. <laughs> no, there's certainly no financial benefit for us. <laughs> no, no. Well, thank you very much. And uh, have you got any plans for the summer holidays other than working them throughout it so you can go somewhere cheaply afterwards? Working them, working them to the bone. Um, no, not really. We've done our summer holiday. We went to the Lake District a few weeks ago and, um, mm. yeah, just just enjoying enjoying what we're doing, whatever each day brings, really. Yes. So, a bit idealistic <laughs> it's not always like that but <laughs> and actually I should just ask sorry before we finish what if someone's thinking about homeschooling where's a good place to start what should they start looking at um a good place to start um is education otherwise online has lots of information mm-hmm. just even just typing in how do I home educate um in the UK you bring up so, the internet's such a vast resource mm-hmm. and it is it's a simple legally um the parent has a responsibility to educate their child when you pass that to a state school or a private school then they're taking on the responsibility to do that for you 
So in essence, it's just as simple as writing a letter if you've got a child in school, if you're interested in doing it. It's just literally writing a letter to the school saying, I am going to be withdrawing, deregistering my child from school and I'm taking, um, I'm going to be home educating them. And it's as simple as that. If you've sent your child to school, then the LEA does, you will be registered with that just as a matter of course. Um, but um, but, but it, it's, it's very straightforward, basically. Britain is one of the most free countries in the world, to be honest. I've got friends in Germany and it's totally illegal to homeschool. Oh, really? So, uh, really? yeah, and lots of European countries. Uh, in Germany, it actually harks back, unfortunately, to the Hitler youth uh, because Hitler wanted everyone, obviously, to be brainwashed. And um, the German government has never changed that back. So, um, so yeah, children, if, if you've got a German family and they're in Germany and they want to home educate, there have been cases where they, they've had their children taken away from them. Um, so, <laughs> so, I'm very aware that in Britain it, it's so straightforward. Yes. Um, and, um, and how long, what's the turnaround? How long would it take from writing a letter to actually being able to well, Obviously, if you're in private school, you'd have, I've got a friend who's just taken her, her daughter out of a private school. Normally, you've got like a term to pay mm. or, or you could take your child out straight away, but you've got responsibilities in that quarter, haven't you? Um, but you can do it instantaneously. As soon as you've sent the letter, then that, that's, it really is as straightforward as that. The school might follow it up and ask some questions or whatever, but you, you as a parent have the right, as things stand at the moment, we'll wait and see what happens when the new Education Act comes in in the next few years, but you have the right as a parent to choose to educate your child at school or otherwise, and it's as simple as sending a letter in. Yes. So, uh, Brilliant. And there is a whole big community out there, and there's lots of support, so it's kind of... Um, yeah, it's definitely easier than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like it's great benefit for the children. The only one who might suffer is a parent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, it's only like if you're a full-time working mother, yeah, you can do the school, that's true. you go to work, come back and do everything else. So, you know, on the days where I'm really struggling with just headspace, <laughs> I just remind myself of that, puts it all back into perspective. <laughs> yeah, at least you don't have a commute. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Philippa, thank you very much indeed. And, and have a lovely summer. So and we'll be in touch yes, soon. Thank you. Bye. Well, one question I realised I didn't ask Philippa was about organised sports. My children are both very much into sports and uh, one of the things they really gain from school is the opportunity to take part in uh, team sports. Um, they also do quite a lot of sports outside of school. So um, I wrote to Philippa and asked her about it. And she said, um, yes, there is uh, home-educated organised sports in places, but it, it does depend on an enthusiastic parent um, getting it off the ground. Uh, but lots of um, home-educated children are involved in sports clubs outside school hours and uh, they had a sports day for the Christian home educators in the East London South Essex area um, recently and there are over about 60 children there so uh, there are ways of going to organise sports events even if you're home educating so that was just something I wondered. I've just got a couple of other things to talk about. Um, I found a really lovely quote from uh, the writer Ruth Reichel. I don't know if I've said that right. It's R-E-I-C-H-L, but it's quoted in the New York Times, saying, Children, I came to understand, need you around even if they ignore you. In fact, they need you around so they can ignore you. 
I think what's really important about that is that parents in some way do need to be around as a wallpaper in their children's lives. If it's a major feature to have a parent around, then um, it's not really a natural relationship if the, if the parent being around is a bonus. It's great to have parents just around all the time so we can be taken for granted, so children can offload whatever's been going on in the day and they can just get rid of everything in their um, stressful lives so they can face the world again. So I think that's, that's a lovely quote which picks up on that. There was uh, another thing I want to talk about briefly is... Um, the idea of having workplace crashes. There was a CEO who's on BBC mentioning that she um, has set up a crash at her work. Um, it's some sort of beauty pl- uh, product um, uh, work that she does, beauty product booking, online booking. But what was really interested in is interesting in her uh, interview is that she says things like, um, "I love working." which I guess is all right, but she says she thinks it's important for her son to see her at work and that she contributes to the household, which is such a shame because I don't think it is really important for children to see that something else is more important than they are uh, in life. And, you know, if parents are going to work, then okay. but it's really important for children to see that they are their parents' priority and that they are very much loved by their parents and that being at home with a child is uh, is a valid way of living. I'm not too sure about the workplace crash in the video they have a childminder um, and the children are sitting on a a mat in the middle of this office uh, being entertained by the childminder but anyone really can entertain a child for two minutes while a camera's on them but actually if you're spending all day in an office and you're a two-year-old is that really an environment for children to be in but maybe it's better than being in a nursery because at least they are with their parents or their, their mother or father um it's just it's a shame it's you know it's a compromise and if parents can be with their children when they're very young in a home environment where children are relaxed and are at home then that's obviously the ideal and when you move away from that perhaps being able to take your children to work is a bonus for you Uh, I don't know how good it is for the children or for the other workers but uh, I guess it's one solution. And then the other thing that came up was uh, interesting comments on LinkedIn that Sweden is, uh, according to the World Economic Forum, is one of the best countries in the world to be a parent because they can take lots of leave. Um, The leave could be split 50-50 between mothers and fathers. Um, I've already commented on that, saying that once leave is split between mothers and fathers, mothers leave lose half their leave and are expected to go back to work even sooner because fathers can do it. Um, Preschool places are subsidised by the government. And uh, basically, it's a it's a very good place to work uh, to be because you can uh, to be a parent because you can uh, send your children off to preschool really easily and cheaply. Now, I'm not sure that that's the best way of measuring the value of a country, and I'm not sure it's really best for the children. It, it might be a great place to be a parent, but I don't really think it's a great place to be a child. And uh, one reason I'm saying that is there's a lady called uh, Madeline Wallen who is. Um, Secretary General at FIFAF, which is the European Federation of Parents and Carers at Home. Uh, she's Swedish and uh, she's written an article in the, uh, which was in the autumn 2018 Mothers at Home Matter newsletter about Sweden, um, calling it uh, 
that it's a, a, a not really a utopia. They call, she calls it the Swedish utopia myth, work before family. And work is really prioritised in Sweden. And the reason they make it um, easy to put your children into preschool and give you lots of leave is so that as soon as uh, the children are old enough, you go off to work and you prioritise that. Um, there are there are some good things about being a parent in Sweden, and they do have the option to stay at home for one to one and a half years after their children are born, which is certainly better than the United States and many parts of the UK. But uh, after that, the benefits end and there's no choice if you want to stay at home longer to care for your child. Um, after parental leave, there's absolutely no economic support, even though uh, Sweden has very high taxes. And there are very strong expectations on women expect, being expected to work full time and leaving their children in preschools where you only pay 8% of the real cost. So there's a real incentive for women to go out to work in Sweden, not only because it's very cheap to put their children into childcare, but also because that's what's expected of you. And also there's, um, there's an issue in some of the Scandinavian countries and probably in the UK where parents are losing confidence in their ability to parent because they aren't spending long enough with their children. Um, and this is anecdotal where parents are picking up children from preschool at the end of the day and uh, they're nervous because they don't know how to look after their children. They might be able to run a country, a company, sorry, but they uh, haven't just spent the last eight hours caring for their children. So uh, it, it's interesting that people, uh, particularly it was put on LinkedIn that Sweden's such a good place to be a parent. Um, and that, that is measured in terms of how easy it is to give your children to other people to look after. So those are my um, observations at the moment. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, it's July at the moment. I'm going to take a bit of a break over the summer because my children will be at home um, with me. Uh, and uh, I hope you'll uh, tune in again in September. I've got lots of plans of other people I'm going to interview, things I'm going to look at. So my name is Claire Pay. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook where I'm Mothers Matter Podcast. And on Twitter, I'm at Podcast Mothers, or you can email me on mothersmatter at outlook.com. I'd also like to thank James Ede from Be Heard, who is the producer who puts everything together. So thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mothers Matter. Thank you to James Ede from Be Heard, who has done the audio production. And thank you to Mothers at Home Matter for all their support. If you have any positive comments, anything nice to say, please write to mothersmatter at outlook.com. If you feel it's really necessary, please send any constructive feedback to the same address, mothersmatter at outlook.com. And please do subscribe. I really, really would love it if you would subscribe. I'm hoping to do a number of very interesting interviews and to give a voice to mothers everywhere. My name is Claire Pay and you've been listening to the Mothers Matter podcast. Thank you.